0: Open your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 5. Are you ready for winter to be over? Spring is coming. Happy Resurrection Day. Every Sunday's Resurrection Sunday. Every Monday. Is Resurrection Monday. Every Tuesday is Resurrection Tuesday. Every Wednesday is Resurrection Wednesday. Every Thursday is Resurrection Thursday. Every Friday is Resurrection Friday. Every Saturday is Resurrection Saturday. And every Sunday is. Do you believe that? We're so blessed. We are so blessed. A lot of things have been happening this week, as Pastor Dan um, shared several different um, family needs and please continue to, to lift up our family members who are in um, need of a physical touch and, and from God and, and just god 's comfort during times of loss and I see Mike and Mike is Shannon with you too, and Clara, would you please stand? Mike made an, a, a great announcement this week. He announced that he's going to be running for um, the New York Senate seat that's going to be opened by Joe Robach. We love you, Mike, and we're praying for you and, and Shannon, Clara, the kids. We get your back in Jesus' name. Amen? We need light in government. We need strong people of faith serving in government. Today is part three in our series, The Bible Says. If you have missed parts one and two, you can go online to listen to The Bible Says Sin Is, Deception Is. Today our focus is on what the Bible Says Freedom Is. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 is our main scripture text. The Apostle Paul, he pens to the church in Galatia, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is a defining text on how we understand freedom in the life of a Christian. Freedom in our culture has been misinterpreted and misrepresented in many ways. As Christ followers, it's critical for us to have a biblical understanding of freedom. We've sang a lot about freedom, the freedom we have in Jesus Christ this morning. And how edifying my spirit's been as we've declared these wonderful truths in God's word through song here this morning. If you're taking notes, please write this down. In fact, I put it up on the screen. Biblical freedom is not the right to do what we desire, but rather the desire to do what is right. Let me share it again. Biblical freedom is not the right to do what we desire, but rather the desire to do what is right. People in our culture want freedom. They demand freedom. They want to be free to do whatever they want to do. They want to be free to celebrate it. And they want to take away your free speech if you decide to lovingly share that what they think they have a right to do is wrong. It it doesn't align with the Holy Scriptures. It isn't that you would really prevent them from exercising what they see as their freedom, but nonetheless, they want to take away your freedom of speech. And that is freedom at its most extreme level, and the culture is demanding it. They want the freedom to feel comfortable about their sin. They want freedom, their freedom, to be tolerated. They want it to be celebrated. They want it to be propagated. They want it to be normalized. Today we're going to look to God's word about the true meaning of of Christian freedom. Gracious Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who you have sent, who is our teacher, who leads us and guides us in your truth. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit you would speak God through your servant to all of us here today, that you would be glorified, that this body of believers would be built up, strengthened, and edified, built up in their faith. And I pray for anyone here today that's seeking, seeking after you, looking to fill this emptiness deep within their heart. I pray today through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would just open their hearts to your redeeming love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. amen. In the book of Ephesians, we're going to come back to Galatians in just a moment. But in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle Paul called Christians in verse 1 to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He emphasized the unity of believers in verses 3. 11 through 16, he called them not to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the fertility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God in verses 17 and 18. Instead, he tells them that they should put on the new man in verse 4. Put on the new man. He emphasized holy lives in verse 25, therefore, putting away lying. And he goes on and describes um, the the holy living, what that looks like. He encouraged them to be kind to one another in verse 32. Back to Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul writes in verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and do not be entangled again. With a yoke of bondage. A literal translation of the Greek would be, Christ has liberated us for freedom. Christ has liberated us for freedom. Paul uses two Greek words, one for liberated and one for freedom. They're very similar. He uses these two Greek words for emphasis. Paul's point, the Apostle Paul's point that he is emphasizing is that the Mosaic law given by God as a tutor, a schoolmaster, to guide the Israelites emphasized salvation by merit works. When Christ came, the emphasis changed to salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Can someone say amen? The difference was life-changing, and we're all testimonies of the difference. Christ coming, dying on the cross, being buried, and rising again on the third day. The difference, Christ coming on the scene, was life-changing and continues to be life-changing today. The law, consisting of 613 commandments, were impossible to keep. It was an impossible situation. But Christ set us free by subjecting us to the rule of grace rather than the rule of law. And the apostle Paul tells the Galatian believers, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. A literal translation would be, don't submit again to a yoke of bondage of slavery the imagery of a yoke was an image used often to convey slavery a yoke was the wooden device used to join two oxen to serve the purpose of their master because a yoke restricted the oxen's movements it became a symbol of servitude slavery The yoke is used in the scriptures as a metaphor for various kinds of of bondage. The Jewish law was a yoke according to Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 5. The Babylonian captivity was a yoke of bondage according to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 4. But the Lord promised to break that yoke according to Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 27. Someone say amen. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses a yoke as a metaphor for the bondage of the Mosaic law, which was so restrictive and impossible to keep. The letter to the Galatians was to be read out loud at at the different churches, The apostle Paul is concerned that they have gone astray in their faith and were adding requirements to salvation that Jesus has graciously given them freely through his death and resurrection. There were false teachers confusing confusing the Galatians by by saying certain aspects of the Old Testament law must be fulfilled if someone wants to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, namely circumcision. Circumcision. It's with this background in mind we return to our main text, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. The Apostle Paul, he writes, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. First thing, freedom is a godly calling. Freedom is a godly calling. Paul is speaking of a holy calling. You brethren have been called to liberty. Freedom is a holy calling. Next week, we will talk about holiness. What the Bible says holiness is. It's important to view freedom, church, as a godly calling. So critically, critically important. To view freedom as a godly calling for every true born again follower of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see in our main scripture text. The Greek word used for flesh is an ugly sounding word that depicts an often ugly reality. A focus on bodily indulgence rather than on godly living and godly service. The Apostle Paul writes, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. The Apostle Paul is saying that our freedom from the law isn't an invitation to loose living. Can I hear a big amen? It's not license to sin. Can I hear a big amen? Paul expanded on this in his letter to the Romans where he said in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, and I read, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful. First, freedom is a godly calling. Second, the Greek word used for flesh is an ugly sounding word that depicts an often ugly reality, fulfilling the indulgences of the flesh. And third, Paul says, but through love serve one another. Verse 14 says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, in Christ we are free to love God and we're free to love our neighbor. The problem with the law was the law was an external force and the heart, sinful and wretched as it is, couldn't obey it. Still can't obey it. Now, thanks to the good news. Thanks to the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's answer to sin, the law has gone inside and the power of the Holy Spirit and the love that has been poured into our hearts allows us, enables us to love our neighbor. Enables us to to love God who first loved us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, the Bible is very clear. If a person loves God, he keeps his commandments. And Jesus said in response to the question, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus responded to the question. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If someone loves God, he obeys God. He obeys God motivated by love and not fear. True Christians are motivated by love to obey God. It's a joy. It's a delight, not a duty. They desire to honor God. They desire to worship God. They desire to bring God glory. They desire to see the will of God and the Word of God fulfilled. Now on the other hand, if someone has no interest in keeping God's commands or indifferent to his commands, they don't seem concerned about honoring God or obeying the word and the will of God in all reality, that person hates God. They don't They hate God. Now I know that is an extreme statement, but there are only two possibilities. You either love God or you hate God. Those are the two possibilities. There's no middle ground. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, we read, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you, Israel, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments." only two possibilities if you do not keep his commandments you are identified as one who hates god that's strong that's a shocker this is repeated again in deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 in the new testament jesus said in john chapter 14 verse 15 if you love me keep my commandments what's the opposite of love He said in John 15, um, chapter 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Christian freedom is not freedom to be indifferent toward the will of God. It is not freedom to be disobedient to God. It is not freedom to be disinterested in honoring God. It is not freedom to be disinterested in glorifying God. It is not freedom to be disinterested in the word of God, the truth of God. True Christian freedom is not freedom to sin, to be free, to be passive with regard to righteousness and godliness and and purity. Rather, true Christian freedom is expressed within the reality that I have been transformed into a lover of God by the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many lovers of God do we have in the house here this morning? What a privilege to be a lover of God. Jesus died a brutal death on the cross so you and I could be made lovers of God. And that shows up in my obedience. It shows up in, in your obedience. It shows up in my desire to honor him, to glorify him, and to worship him. It shows up in my love for God's word, in your love for God's word. It shows up for my love for my neighbor. It shows up in my love for my Christian brothers and sisters. But truth be told, there is a new kind of Christianity. It's flourishing in our generation. And the idea of it is to accommodate the current culture of sin, it seems to be less restrained if it is restrained at all sinners want freedom to do what they want to do they reject authority we see this rejecting of authority in so many different really in every place of life whether it's in the home the church government law enforcement They think they have a right to, to whatever behaviors they choose to do. It's their right. Who are you to tell me that it's not right? Who is God? Who does he think he is to tell me it's not right? This isn't just a hot attitude in the world. This is a hot attitude In the church, it's a counterfeit freedom. I see it pastorally. It's a counterfeit freedom. In fact, what they fail to understand is what Jesus said in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 34 Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. This counterfeit freedom is actually slavery. You're not free, you're mastered by your sin. You're restricted, you're controlled, you're dominated. It produces lawlessness, which results in having another lover who is not God. This counterfeit freedom is endorsed by certain preachers who are eager to accept people on their terms, not on God's terms, demanding no repentance, no self-denial, no pursuit of godliness, holiness, purity, sanctification, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 say this about these false preachers. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, and that's what it is, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. They promise freedom, but only deliver bondage, slavery. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's worth your soul in this life? True Christian freedom is not trying to figure out how selfish you can be before the Lord is so displeased that he disciplines you. True Christian freedom doesn't do that. It does just the opposite. True Christian freedom runs towards Christ. And true Christian freedom runs towards righteousness. True freedom runs toward purity and runs toward godliness. And true Christian freedom runs toward virtue. In Christ, we have been freed from the bondage to do what is right, not only to do what is right, but to love what is right. Do you love what is right, church? Do you love what is right? Do you love what is right? And to fulfill that which we now love to do. Which is loving God and loving our neighbor. We have been freed from the law's curse and penalty because Christ died on the cross. We have been freed from the law's demands and threats. We're freed from the power of sin. But we're not free from the moral law which is an expression of the very nature of God. The very character of a holy God. It is impossible to love God and resist his moral law and it's equally impossible to resist his moral law and say you love God. It's impossible. In Christ you were called out from the oppressive power of the law. Out from under the curse of the law, out from under the penalty of the law, out from the ext- external symbols of the law that were ceremonial regulations given to Moses, like circumcision and other things. All the festivals and feasts, all the externals, all the foreshadows and sacrifices were free from all of that. We're free from the shadows and symbols of the law because the substance is Christ and He has come did you hear that church he has come he died on the cross for our sin to secure our freedom he was buried and he rose victorious on the third day can someone say amen thank you jesus the call for freedom is seen here in two simple ways number one we are free to op- oppose the flesh. Let's go back to Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh is our sin-desiring aspect of our our being, of our whole being, as opposed to the God-desiring aspect. These two desires, war. And Paul lays it out beautifully here, this, this war. The Christian life is a warring life, and we're going to war all the way to heaven. You have the freedom to oppose the flesh. You do not have the freedom to indulge the flesh. You have freedom to oppose the flesh, not to indulge the flesh. That's a lie. That is a lie. The Greek word translated opportunity do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, the Apostle Paul Penn. The Greek word translated opportunity is a military word for a base, a base. A military base is the base of operations. The Apostle Paul is saying do not operate Off your flesh. Do not operate off those things which are part of the sin desiring aspect of you. Verse 17 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another. There's a war going on in you, and it's a fight against your flesh, my flesh. The apostle Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, the works of the flesh. He writes, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery and fornication. Uncleanness and lewdness and idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions and dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, wild parties, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're living in the illusion that you've added Jesus to your life and living only for the fulfillment of your own flesh, the Apostle Paul wants you to know you will never enter the kingdom of God. People who practice the deeds of the flesh as our pattern of life will never enter the kingdom of God. Paul is not talking about an act of sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The apostle Paul is not talking about an act of sin, but a habit of sin, a pattern of sin. It's what defines us. For someone continually to indulge the sinful nature without battling against it is to show that they have not been truly born again. They have not been redeemed and renewed, transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. There's no war going inside you. You're not warring. The spirit is not warring with the flesh because you haven't been born again. That's not a good place to be. The apostle Paul is not looking to undermine Christian assurance here, but he is aiming to expose false conversions. In church, we need to be concerned about false conversions today. These vices that we've just read, they're, they're, they're destroyers. They ruin your relationship with God. They ruin your relationship with others, whether it's your marriage or, or with your family, your children, your, your neighbors, your co-workers. The people you worship with, they ruin your relationship with yourself. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 say, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, freedom does not mean freedom to be indifferent to the will and word of God or to be Disobedient. It is freedom to obey, motivated by love of God and not law of God. It is freedom to pursue righteousness, motivated by love of God and not law of God. If someone has the Holy Spirit in them, and if they're a true follower of Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit will grow. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit in the context of our text. The fruit of the Spirit will will burst through. Not just one piece, but in unity. They will burst through in unity. It's the very nature of God. It's the very character of God. Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is another word for patience. I like the word long-suffering. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. True Christian freedom has moral restrictions, church. Paul describes some of those restrictions in verses 19 through 21. I I read them just moments ago. But there are a lot of things that the Bible doesn't say things specifically about. Behaviors that are neither righteous nor unrighteous. Life is full of those kinds of decisions we have to make. Where Scripture remains silent, I usually ask myself several questions. Number one, will it be spiritually profitable? The Apostle Paul, he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Not all things, church, are beneficial. Not all things are to my spiritual advantage, There are a lot of things that are lawful, but will they be spiritually profitable? It's a good question. Another question is this. Will it build me up? Again, the Apostle Paul, right into the church in Corinth in his first letter in chapter 10, verse 23, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify build me up? Is it going to have a spiritual benefit? Is it going to actually make me stronger as a believer? Is it going to lift me up, build me up, edify me? Another question I ask is, will it hinder my running the race of faith? Recorded in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the author writes, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every way in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This great cloud of witnesses gives testimony validating the blessing of a Life of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks to the spiritual blessings connected to that kind of life, a life of faith following Jesus Christ. The author is basically saying, since we see the value of living a life of faith, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The Greek word translated race is where we get our English word agony. Those of you who run, if you run marathons, you reach that point in the marathon. I've never ran a marathon, but I talk to those who have. They have encountered what they call this wall, agony, agony, intense agony. The race set before us is a long race. It requires endurance. This is a lifelong marathon we're engaged in. In order to run the race effectively, there are two things that you and I need to eliminate. The author says, Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. Number one, sin. That's clear. We understand that. Number two, every weight. The Greek word translated weight means bulk. I'm not talking about bulk up. It, it isn't sin. But it is something else that is an unnecessary weight in the race. So the third question is, will it weigh me down from running the race of faith? Do I need to carry this? You don't see an athlete going out to run a marathon carrying a suitcase. That's unnecessary. bulk weight. Is it something that diverts my attention, that drains my energy, that takes my eyes off of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? And there's a fourth question. Will it glorify God? Yes? Is that a good question? Will it glorify God? The Apostle Paul, he writes again to the church in Corinth in his first letter in chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, true Christian freedom is not asking how much sin can I get away with. How much stuff can I fill my life with because I'm under grace and not under the law? No, not at all. Not at all. True Christian faith says, how can I eliminate out of my life anything, even things that are not morally restricted, but have the power to pull me in the wrong direction? How can I get them out of my life? The Apostle Paul, he writes, In Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Church, submitting to the Holy Spirit's leadership eliminates the need for external laws that spell out precisely what is and what is not permissible. The Holy Spirit will guide you internally around temptations and give you wisdom, discernment on what to eliminate from your life, the extra weight That is unnecessary. I'm so thankful for the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, who works in every believer, who lives in every believer. Number one, we are free to oppose the flesh, and number two, on the sermon outline, we are free to serve others. Let's go back to verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to to liberty, Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. This is a great verse to memorize. Maybe put it in a frame and put it all over your house. But through love, serve one another. The Greek word for love is agape. It is the highest of all loves. It's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. It's humble love. This is the kind of love Jesus demonstrated on the cross. We read about it in Philippians chapter two. And true Christian freedom doesn't just ask questions about oneself, but it asks questions about the people around them. Did you hear that, church? True Christian freedom doesn't just ask questions about oneself, but it asks questions about the people around them. Will my behavior build them up? Will this be profitable to them? I'm not talking about sin, I'm talking about weights too. Will it hinder them in the race? Will this be an unnecessary weight to them? Will it be an example of Christ's likeness? Will it help them glorify the Lord? We're to help each other glorify the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, But beware lest someone that somehow, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. He writes, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. true Christian freedom is limited by those things that matter for somebody else's spiritual growth. Their spiritual growth is more important than my liberty, my freedom, my personal liberty, my personal freedom. Their personal growth, their spiritual growth is more important. Agape, we're called to agape. It's the highest form Level of love. But if we don't deny ourselves, if we don't die to ourselves, and if we don't take up our cross daily, we're going to put our personal liberty ahead of that brother or sister's personal spiritual growth. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Several years ago, I had a guest speaker here. Hadn't seen him in years, and he was out of the country for a number of years serving in ministry. He was back in the States. He preached one Sunday. On Monday, I get a phone call from someone in our church. Pastor, that that guest speaker that preached on Sunday, he preached a powerful message. We had been witnessing to someone for quite a few months. We've invited them Sunday, week after week to come. They finally came that Sunday. After service, we went out for lunch The restaurant we went to, your guest speaker was there with some people. And he drank one beer after another beer after another beer. The person we brought said, hey, is that the preacher? Is that the person that preached God's word today? And what they saw that preacher doing troubled them. Now I'm not here today to say drinking is right or wrong in this message. Just seeing who's awake and who's sleeping. I called my dear friend and said, Hey, I got this call. Did this really happen? Oh my goodness. Are you serious? Are you calling me up. Oh my goodness. You need to have a deliverance service at your church and deliver that spirit of religion from everybody. Contradicts what I'm what we're seeing in God's word today. I said, you know, I'm really sad about your response. The pulpit is a sacred trust. Until you humble yourself and see your error and repent, I can no longer have you speak at this church. Church, I love you too much. This is not about alcohol. It's about personal liberty and personal freedom and idolizing it more than a, than a young believer who might stumble over your personal liberty, who, who maybe grew up in a home filled with alcoholics and battles alcohol addiction himself or herself. Church, do you hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church today? It's never about our personal liberty. It's never about our personal freedom. It's always about loving God and loving your neighbor. Can someone say amen? Romans chapter 14, verse 13 says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or, or cause um, to, to fall in our brother's way. Romans 15, one says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and in, in not to please ourselves. True Christian freedom is not freedom to put a stumbling block in a Christian brother or sister's way path. True Christian freedom is freedom to oppose the flesh and freedom to serve others. True Christian freedom is within the context of the law, and we are not under the obedience of the law as a condition of salvation. And I'm so grateful and thankful the obligation to obey the law, to be saved is gone for the Christian, which is impossible to achieve. But the moral law in Christ's command gives us a guide to know how to live in love in a fallen world as we battle our flesh. The sin desiring aspect of of our whole being. The message in Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 is clear. Don't lose gospel freedom. Church, don't lose gospel freedom. Your freedom is in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and nothing you ever did or can ever do. Don't lose gospel freedom. The message in Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 15 is clear. Don't abuse gospel freedom. True Christian freedom is freedom from the law as a way to win merit, favor from God, but we are not freed from the law as a way to please God. The Apostle Paul, he writes in in verses 24 and 25, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. As I close here this morning, all our sin was judged at the cross. The penalty for sin was paid. Thank you, Jesus. Our sin nature was crucified with Christ. The power of sin was broken on the cross. How do we overcome the flesh? Paul tells us by walking in the Spirit. Church, we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. When he The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit. Church, hear this as I close today. The Holy Spirit brings light to the false beliefs of the flesh. And our flesh has false beliefs. The Holy Spirit brings to light the false beliefs of the flesh, which generates the sinful desires and leads us to sin. When he, when the Holy Spirit exposes the lie, we must replace the false belief with Christ, the truth. Two things the Holy Spirit exposes, the Christian expels, rejects the false belief rejects the lie, and replaces it with God's truth. We have something to do. We just can't sit passively. We have something to do. Jesus said, would you stand with me in John 8, 31, 32? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Thanks be to God.